Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Down, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey. A, B, C. In reverse. A, B, C. In reverse. A stands for accountability. B stands for bravery. And C stands for confession. And I'm here to do a follow-up to the reflection that I recorded yesterday. And the downside is I'm, ref- I'm following up to that episode, but I haven't listened to it yet. So I'm following up to it based on memory. Um, and it was emotionally charged, and usually when that happens, the memory isn't as refined as we need it to be. So... If there are any contradictions between what I say today and what I said yesterday, I will eventually figure that out and come back and talk to you all about it. Just want to let you know that I want to respond to what I think I remember from yesterday. And it relates to me making a confession me needing to exercise some bravery and me needing to be accountable. So it's ABC in reverse. Sounds better than saying CBA. (laughs) So that's what's about to happen. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. That's the season I'm in right now. That's what a lot of this is about, the trauma piece, the intergenerational trauma piece. Um, But we'll come back to that. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. And half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets around critical race feminism, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. To learn more about it or me, feel free to go to my website, yournidom.wordpress.com. I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, some a little more. I want to do a little more housekeeping before I move into this reflection. Number one. Um, I uploaded two episodes yesterday, I re, um, excuse me, this morning. In my reflection to you yesterday, I told you about two pieces of content that influenced my thinking. One was about the introverted eight, and the other one was about the differentiating between the type eight and the type one in the Enneagram system. I responded to both of those YouTube videos separately in my own YouTube channel. 
and I told you yesterday that I really wanted to get it done to you this weekend, but based on kind of where I'm at, I could not make a commitment. Well, this morning I got up and I did everything I needed to do, and those videos are on YouTube, so please go there and show me some love. It's one that's about being an introverted aide, and one the other one is about... Um, like I said, differentiating between a type 8 and a type 1. Um, and that was what gave flavor to yesterday's reflection. Um, I, the episode was called Collision. And I was just talking about this thing I'm going through with my family. I wanted to talk about Collision at work. I mentioned it, but I didn't really delve into it. Okay. All right. So that's one thing I wanted to tell you that those videos are up. I also want to tell you I have two books sitting next to me. One is titled Emotional Poverty. And the other one is Mothers Who Can't Love. I've referenced both of these books before. Um, One more than the other, but they're both sitting in front of me. And before I hit the record button, I was um, trying to read it, uh, just seeing if there were words that would um, capture what it is that I'm thinking slash feeling. I'm not even sure. And I couldn't. It's just so much. There's a storm happening internally that just my cursory review of these texts did not help. But they're still sitting. They're still sitting. Next to me. One is open. You know how you open up a book and it's, you shouldn't do a book that way, but it's open and it's face down. And the other one is closed. So that's that. It's also important to note that after I did my reflection with you all yesterday, I went on a long walk. And in that long walk, I got a phone call. I'm going to tell you about that phone call today. And that phone call made me rethink what I said to you all yesterday. As much as I can remember. And when it made me rethink what I said to you all. It made me go to some more content. So I have that content from yesterday's conversation. And then the content from YouTube. Because I didn't do any reading. I was walking. So I was listening to some content. And it really relates to these two texts that I have in front of me. Or sitting next to me. I really wish I would have listened to yesterday's um, reflection because I I don't I don't remember the details, but I hit the record button and I'm as authentic as I honest as I possibly can be and and where there are gaps or contradictions that is just about my development. It's not about my integrity. It's about my development in terms of my own understanding. And I want to thank a few of the people who listened to that episode right away. I don't have a lot of followers, but it's growing slow, but I'm okay with that just because I always say I want to have meaningful followers. I want to have people who are here because you get it and you need it. Um, I think the last disclaimer, the last piece of housekeeping I want to share, and I don't know. You know what I need to tell you all? I'm going to be... I don't even know 
I was kind of like that yesterday. Like, <sighs> I was really low yesterday. I'm, I'm low today, but I'm confused today. I'm low and confused. Um, and then I'm not confused. I'm confused and I'm not confused. I don't know. <laughs> if you're new, you're probably like, what the hell? It's a lot going on. And um, I am in a season. And I am going to apologize and not apologize. That it season six might be out of my control. You know, usually it takes me, by the time I get into the middle of the season, I can start seeing what kind of season I'm in personally. Like, oh, there's overlap. There are things that are overlapping here. I think this thing, this uh, story that I'm going through with person A, a very close family member, is very much, it is very possible it's going to dictate this season. And I, I, this is the last thing I want to say, and I want to try to do a little storytelling. It's, I said this, I think, yesterday. I said it within the last two episodes in February. When I ended season five in December, at the end of December, I was like, um, you guys, I think I'm done. I think I have worked through some really big things that I needed to work through in my life. I don't really see me working through anything else. I'm good. Anything moving forward is going to be on repeat. That's a lie. And it wasn't an intentional lie, but it was not the truth. I got a couple of confessions to make, A, B, C, and reverse. I've got a couple of confessions to make. I didn't realize it. But this thing that I'm going through right now with this family member is uncovering. some work I haven't done yet and it's a horrible horrible way to have to do this work but it's work and it's it's all the same and it's being revealed to me all the same and true to how I've come to appreciate this project this podcasting project um If I don't allow myself to get on this recording and really talk it through, I'm going to miss out on my own growth. There are things that I go and talk to my heart coach about, and there's growth there. There, There's growth that happens when I journal privately. And then there's growth that happens when I get and hit this record button and I talk to strangers that I'll never meet. And I need this. So... I hope I don't come to regret it, but just doing the best that I know to do. Um, one other disclaimer is I didn't turn off my, I don't have, I haven't turned off anything on my phone. I use my phone to record these episodes. I haven't turned off anything. So my alarms, my phone, because uh, my sister is flying in part of this thing that we're going through as a family and she's flying in. She's going to be with me. Um, well, I didn't think she was staying with me. She was going to be in town for a week. I didn't think she was staying with me. I just found out 30 minutes ago that she's actually going to be staying with me tonight. That means after I get done recording, I got to straighten up the house. 
That, I mean, if I don't, I don't. She's my sister. That's fine. And we had a little bit of conflict this morning, but the conflict wasn't about her. But this is what happens. This is what happens. Oh, my God, I have so much to tell you all. A lot. Anyway. Okay, let's get started. Because, I mean, it's still a podcast, right? I got to make some sense. <laughs> I got to make some sense. Okay, so we're at 12 minutes. Holy smokes. Let me do a little storytelling. And let's see. Let's just see what happens. I'm going to do a little storytelling. Okay. So I did a reflection with you all yesterday on collision. And I think I talked about person A and just about how I have been watching myself in this conflict and seeing how... um learning me in this conflict. And if I'm a type eight, there have been some very type one-ish things that I've done in the last two weeks. And I've been very curious about that. So part of that, when I get curious, I start, I go on a hunt for learning and information. And that's where those other two episodes, those two videos that I refer to and I responded to being an introverted eight and delineating between an eight and a one, right? That's kind of where I was at. That's where a lot of yesterday's reflection was telling you a story about how um, the family operates as a system in conflict and stress. And there are these characters that get acted out and I don't know if I talked about being going between being the scapegoat and the golden child and the scapegoat I don't know if I talked about that but I needed to I don't really even know what I talked about yesterday I'm a, uh, I should stop I should stop referring to yesterday because I don't even remember but anyway after I did that reflection, I told you guys I took a walk. And as I was getting ready to leave the house, I got a call from one of my cousins. She's a third cousin, though. And most of the time, it doesn't matter. Like, um, I think a lot of communities in the margins, when you have these big families, it doesn't matter first, second, or third, because it's all about survival, right? Well... It's important for me to say this because she's a cousin I didn't really know about until I was in my 30s. And she's a cousin that I didn't even begin to have any kind of relationship with until the last five years. I was 47, 46, 47. So I'm, I'm, I met her like at 33 and then I didn't really start interacting with her until 46. And I interact with her because my sister found out about her and then they, and they're both in the same sorority and they just, and they, they cross paths. It's so weird. They've crossed paths in different states and then sorority, but never met each other, never knew of each other. And so there's, that's interesting, right? And that's kind of what my third cousin would say. I got several third cousins, but and it's so interesting because her brother I went to school with. So I knew about her two brothers. I knew about her two older brothers. Didn't know about her, though. And that is so relevant for this story. 
I went to school with one of her older brothers, knew he was my brother. I mean, he, excuse me, I knew he was my cousin. He was so goofy, fine. It was just weird. He was just the goofy cousin. Fine, he's my cousin. He was a third cousin. Wasn't like my other cousins. My my first cousins are more like my siblings. We're very close. Okay. I do have another third cousin who was is kind of like a sibling, but didn't. There's some complications, and she does not like me. And she may not have liked me a whole life. I didn't know that until within the last five years. Since my grandmother has passed, a lot of her anger about the family really gets centered on me. Y'all, that's not my problem. This is a perfect example of how this whole intergenerational stuff happens. That's not my problems. And honestly, I want to be honest with you. I really wish that I was talking to a community of people who get the um, family trauma stuff. Because I'm not sure if you all in the in the typology community, if you're coming to me because of the typology work that I do, you're probably not going to fully get this trauma stuff. But I've been, when I go into the trauma world, family, familial trauma, there's a whole different following, a whole different community. And when you read those stories, like what, it's just, it's, it's textbook. Everything I'm about to tell you, you can go and find a community. I'm not saying anything that's new. It might be new to you, but anybody who comes from intergenerational trauma, this is not new. It's not, it's so textbook. So this other third cousin I have that we were raised kind of like siblings, but in the last five years since my grandmother's passed, she has been very vocal and open about not liking me. The weird thing about it is that why she doesn't like me is because of how she was treated in comparison to me by my grandmother. It wasn't my fault as a kid. It wasn't my fault as, as, as a kid that my grandmother treated her a certain way. Or, it, you know, whether she, whether my grandmother treated her a certain way, I, I'm not going to even touch that right now. I'm looking at a picture of my grandmother like, oh, boy, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I need to go move that picture. Anyway, it's not, no, just no. And um, I tried to have a conversation, I tried to have a conversation with this cousin, you know, within the year of my grandmother passing, trying to explain to her, like, Hey, let me tell you what was going on for me. Let me tell you what I was dealing with. While you were dealing with that, let me tell you what I was dealing with. And I I just can't get it. I just can't get her to um I just can't get her to respond to that. Like I'm the bad guy. I am the bad guy, you guys. <laughs> this is where the type one stuff happens. Um, this is this is what it is. When when I talked yesterday about the different ways, or when I talked in that video, the different ways the type one and the type eight overlap. There are five ways this particular lady talked about. Go to my YouTube channel to get that video. It was really good. Um, but the one of the there are five ways that you can really drill down and get into the nuance of the difference between the type 8 and the type 1, because they're both part of the gut anger cluster. But there are some variants in terms of 
how to respond to anger, being right, details, control, and time, right? Go check out that video. But it's, there are two of the areas that are questionable when you look at me, where there's like some, yeah, but, yeah, but, and that it, I'm theorizing is indicative of trauma, of my coming from intergenerational trauma that complicates the typing of, of delineating me as an eight versus a one. And one of those areas is about how eights and one treat be doing the right thing. Being right, doing the right thing. We both want to do that, but for different reasons. I'm not going to unpack that. Um, but I will say here that a lot of that is be- of my doing right. When I start doing right the way a type one does what right, it's because I have been relegated in my family as the bad guy. I'm the problem. I do the, I'm the bad person. I'm the scapegoat. And what's why that's like hard to fully settle into that is because there have been pockets of time when I have been used as though I was the golden child. And that's when I did my job of representing the family in a certain way, doing really good, attaining my degrees, obtaining a highly public a position around achievement. Um, yeah, anything that I do that is public and is notable positions me as good or it did so I had a pocket of time where I was treated as the golden child in my family and I was used quote unquote as the model and then other people became the scapegoat and they were used they were compared to me and that caused resentment we were all being used even the person even the person who's doing the manipulating. This is why I like saying intergenerational trauma. I don't like to say, you know, and I thought I've entertained this for a minute. Like, do I erase that? Do I erase that part of for my disclaimers? Should I stop saying I'm from intergenerational trauma? What's the point? I want to be, a, I'm a survivor. I'm moving beyond that. Like every time I repeat it, am I just reinforcing that? I never outgrow it. There's a part of me that says, if you say that at the, uh, in each of your disclaimers, you'll never outgrow it. But I don't know if I can. I do believe I can outgrow it to a, um, I can do my job and outgrow this to a certain significant point. I really, I feel, I feel pretty confident I can. But there's always going to be a thing. Because we're, as social beings, we're socialized. This is a fact. Humans are social animals. And being social, we are socialized by a a myriad of social institutions. 
but the primary social institutions that are responsible for developing us, family, media, religion, education, um, government, medicine. Like those are, I think there's a seventh one, um, the environment. Uh, that's not a social institution, but the environment does play a part. I can't think of the seventh one. Our peer group, maybe? That might be it. And those institutions are responsible for socializing us. It is what it is. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your personality type is. We all are social animals and we all are socialized by social institutions. This is why I do those disclaimers. It's not enough to say I'm an INTJ8, which is why there are people who say don't identify with that typology, which is true because you're not just that type. I've already talked about why I do it, though, right? Society doesn't say to me, don't say, don't say you're an African-American woman. That's not a choice. I don't get a choice in that. I don't get a choice to say I'm a woman or not. I mean, well, now I can with, you know, if I wanted to not be a woman, you know, I could go through a process. I get that. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize anybody who's transgender. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to at least my apologies if I'm being disrespectful. But my point is there are some identities that I own because I don't have a choice but to own them. And so I then slip in that INTJ8. We're going to put that at the table. It's going to sit right there at the table. My my type out my type is going to sit right there with my race and with my gender, with my class and everything else. Deal with it. That's kind of how I feel about when people rightfully argue that your typology, your type shouldn't be part of your identity. I get it, but no, there's a reason. So anyway, and. In tandem with all of that, in tandem with all of that is um, the ways that intergenerational trauma impacted my socialization by way of my family. And it wasn't just me, and this is why like I said I like saying intergenerational trauma, because it's not just me impacted by that. It allows me to get out of my own butt, right? Like not to feel sorry for myself. Oh, it was just me. I was impacted in a certain way. Because I went through that phase too. For so long I didn't understand. I just thought it was something is happening to me. I had so many different relationships with the in in with myself in this in that in the journey. Of, con- of dealing with this intergenerational trauma, particularly before I realized it was intergenerational trauma. For so long, it was just about me. I was having an experience. And I went through phases of being mad at everybody else. They were doing this thing to me. And then I went through a phase of being mad at myself, like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. 
for not being able to make those, to do the things that I, that these people are expecting me to do. And so where I've been, particularly in the last five years, but maybe, uh, maybe 10, but really in the last five years, it's intergenerational. It has impacted all of us in my family. And as I said yesterday, you know, it irritates me now. I've been, and I've, a lot of this I know it's helpful and maybe not. It's a curse sometimes because of my occupation. As a social scientist and an educator, I understand human development. <laughs> I understand the social world. I understand the socialization process. And I've tried when I was younger and I was learning these things, I tried desperately to get my family to want to learn this because I feel like learning is liberation. They weren't interested. And as a matter of fact, not only were they not interested, they were angry with me for bringing a lot of that to the table. And then, and I got silenced. That's just one of the ways that happened. That's one. It's just, I've just done another, a number of episodes on family systems theory. But that family is going to function as a system and its system will maintain itself. And if that system is determined to present to the world as being good, there is a, a heightened need to present out to the world that we are good, then anything that threatens that message will be problematized and silenced. That's textbook. You can go to any literature that'll tell you that. That's just not your NI Dom telling you this. I'm not making, I mean, that's just research driven. I would say it's a fact, but I don't want to talk. I don't want to do that. But I will say it's statistically true. Okay. Let's get back to what I wanted to confess about. <laughs> so my one third cousin um, just has not been able to, I have to make peace that the way she survives is by uh, seeing me as a bad person in addition to how other people see me. And my heart coach told me six years ago. And she was like, why do you think, she's like, why do you think that they see you that way? Why do you think that that's pretty consistent throughout your family? That they see you a particular way and they respond to you a particular way. And you have to understand that as a type 8, I don't like to feel vulnerable. And I don't like to feel weak. And I don't want to be like, oh, well, it's me. And so her asking me that question, she didn't ask me that when I first started working with her. It took a couple of years before she presented that question to me. Because, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say, whoa, it's me. No, 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 no. <laughs> but if I'm really trying to heal and grow, I'm going to have to confront that question. And I did. So anyway, and that's how I got some of the books that I have and all of that. So anyway, that's that. So I have been utilized as both the scapegoat, uh, mainly the scapegoat, but I have had 
I have I have had pockets of being the golden child, but there are true golden children in my family that have never been scapegoated. They consistently ride the golden child train. My sister is one of them. My sister's the golden child. And I'm, I'm a scapegoat. And uh, how we work together is how we work together. And I continue to do my damnedest to fight for my relationship with my sister. And I believe she does it too. But we had a little hiccup this morning. And I had, before she got on the plane, I had to say, I'm not mad at you. I'm not, I'm frustrated. But I'm not frustrated with you. But this is what we have to agree on as we as we go into this this season with this crisis that we're going through. We have to make some additional commitments to each other. And so then she sends me a number of texts. Can you know, like when I see you, I'm gonna hug on you. Then she and then she tries to be protective of me, and that makes me sad because I don't want her worrying about me. Like this is a big deal that we're going through. In our family, and there's a lot of grieving, a lot of stress, a lot of fear, a lot of concern, and I want her to be able to take care of herself. I don't want her totally focused on me. I want to focus on her. I want to take care of her. So I just said we just have to. I said our family is just not able to handle heightened stress in a healthy way. That's just, that is, now I'm going to say that is a fact. And we cannot get caught up and and be utilized. In, anyway, I wasn't even planning on talking about my sister. But that, that was a conversation that happened this morning. Okay, going back to yesterday, there was this, um, there was this, um, I'm taking a walk after I did my reflection with you all. After I did my reflection with you all. Um, I went, up, went to take off for, get ready to go for a walk. And as I was picking up my keys, I had the dogs, the leash, and the leash in my hand. My phone rang. And it was one of my third cousins, not the one that not the one that I grew up with as a sibling, the one who's not the one who centers her frustration with me because of how she was treated. Not that one. This third cousin that I found out about in my early 30s, the one that we just started spending time together in the last five years because of my sister. She doesn't call me. We we just don't. We don't. We just don't have that connection. I usually see her when my sister comes to town. And when my dad died a couple of years ago, we had a big, big blowing up because she thought she could lecture me. There was, we went out and I was in full type eight mode. I'm not going to give the details right now. I was in full eight. I talked about this already. I was not in a, I was not in a healthy place because I was dealing with the grief, of, the grief, the loss of my dad. I think that's understandable. So there was something we went out. There was something that happened. 
And she, because, and she said this to me yesterday, she moves about in the world trying to be good. And so based on how I was showing up in my grief, she decides that she was going to lecture me on being good and trying to get me to be good. She was, she wanted me to behave in a certain way. She was deciding to behave a certain way and she wanted me to behave a certain way. And I wasn't having it. So we don't really have a close relationship. But at that moment, I had to let her know. Um, nice, nice, nice to meet you, new cousin. But I'm, I'm going to suggest you back up. Wait, you need to back up for me. So you guys have to go back two years ago. I don't think I told the details of that. But I did talk about it was a very intense time. It was very intense. So anyway... My dog is playing with her toy, so just so you know if you can hear it in the background. <laughs> so anyway, so since then, it's been a little bit gappy with us, but we're just fine. It's fine. We went to dinner, and it's just, 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 she's family. I, we don't have to be best friends, but here's the but. She and I have a very similar experience with our mothers. Our mothers are first cousins. Our mothers grew up as sisters. They're first cousins and they grew up as sisters. And uh, before she told me her story, my sister said to me, you know, cousin so-and-so, you should talk to her because when when she talks about her story growing up, it sounds exactly like when you tell your story, you guys have a very similar experience. And so we've had this cousin that I'm telling you about that I got acquainted with in my 30s. When we've spoken, we do. Our mothers have responded to us as their first daughters in almost, almost identical ways. So we have that in common. Okay. But how we are responding to that is different. And that's okay. We're different people. She's an INTJ too, by the way. Which I have got a theory about INTJs. And I've talked about this before. My gosh, I would love to unpack that. I've got a theory about INTJs that relates to another theory that I have about what sits underneath the cognitive orientation. So we have these cognitive preferences. This is our cognitive stack. That there's something about us that will prefer those force functions. N-I-T-E-F-I-S-E. But anyway, and I think when you take that thing that's core to us and you intermingle that with our environment, I think you can get an INDJ. Most INDJs have a very similar relationship to their environment. Now, did the environment create the INTJ or is it the INTJ that's creating that environment? We can process that at another time. But anyway, this particular cousin is an INTJ. Yet we respond to our situation that's almost identical in different ways. And as she told me yesterday, 
she likes to be good. She likes to just play it safe. She likes to be, I think, I can't remember her exact quote yesterday, but she wants to be seen as a good person. She tries to accommodate. And I don't do that. I mean, I do it to a certain extent. You guys heard it yesterday, but for the most part, I'll, I am, I move about as a disruptor. So she's a peacemaker. I'm the disruptor. That's how, that's what's different. So she would probably be an INTJ one, uh, compared to my INT, my INTJ eight. Anyways, she calls me yesterday. So as I'm about to walk the dog, I see the phone call and I said, huh? She's calm. We don't, we don't talk like that. She, but she was chipping on my mind because as I'm going through this situation, I, with my family, my immediate family, I wanted to process with somebody who would get it. But I never called her because I know that when I talk to her, even though we have a very similar, um, upbringing, um, upbringing, I know that we don't interact in the world the same way. And I was like, I do not want to call her having a need and not getting that need met and even be frustrated. So I just like, no, I'm not going to, not going to call her. So when she called yesterday, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I took the call. And uh, the first, we probably were on the phone, maybe 40, maybe 40 minutes. The first 20 minutes, the first 25 minutes of that phone call was about her expressing frustration with her mom, her pain. I've heard this before. And I'm 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 irritated by it. Let me tell you why I'm irritated. Not that she called me. You'll see. Because she this is this is the thing that I've tried to break with other people in the past. People call me because they know I have the ability to understand. And I have the ability to navigate that understanding when I'm talking to you, even when I don't agree with you. I have a finesse of being able to move about in the conversation so that you maintain your dignity. Now, I have had to learn to do that. I didn't always do that, but I, so maybe that's my, my training. All right, fine. So she was dealing with some emotional pain because her mom, she calls me because she wanted Probably wanted to be encouraged, wanted support, wanted somebody who could understand. Okay. So I listened. I didn't jump in as an advisor. I just listened. And oftentimes I would go, I would go, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just something simple like that let her know that she wasn't alone. She wasn't, like, making stuff up. She wasn't crazy. I was affirming. I was like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, yep. That's kind of mostly what I did. And then she said, you know, I should have called you a week ago. I really was going to call you because I know you would understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frustrated because I can't do that with you, right? Because when I – that's okay. And this is – they didn't move to something that really – so finally I was like, we were probably calling because my sister called you. And you probably know the news. And she said, no. Your sister didn't tell me. I said, oh, your mom told you? She said, no, I haven't talked to my mom. She said, I talked to your mom. Your mom called me. 
I'm like, oh, okay. I don't want to get into the details of this, but she proceeds to tell me about how her mom, my mom has been a support system to her. My mom has been a support system to her when her mom hasn't. My, my mom checks on her. All I could do is laugh. Oh my gosh. I wish you guys knew this. I wish you knew the literature. If you knew the literature, you would know why I'm laughing. You would know exactly why I'm laughing. Gosh, and I don't have time to give it all to you. Oh my gosh. But anyway, so I'm regulate. Now when she's talking this out, I'm regulating myself. Like this is not. This is not about her. It's not about my cousin. But it make, it's making me feel horrible. I had, my mom doesn't call and check up on me like that. But I I grew up knowing that. My mom, I grew up with my mom doing that with my friends. And more than likely because I was moving about in the world from intergenerational trauma and um, and attracting friends to me out of that trauma, I understand, I can see now, most of my friends did not have a healthy relationship with their parents. Those are the people I attracted. But my mom became mom to those people. My mom became mom to, to my friends. And because my friends were craving that mother energy because they weren't getting it from their mom, you can imagine what it was like. So when I needed to vent, and that's what you do to your friends, or to process what was going on with my mom, I would never really be able to get that because my friends knew my mother, not through my experience, but through what they were getting from her. <laughs> so when my cousin calls me yesterday, the cousin where we're supposed to be able to relate because we were, we experienced the same things from our mother and you, she knows that why she wouldn't understand how painful that is for me to hear her say, how my mom has moved in and provided a particular space for her. Like, why, what are you, why wouldn't you know that as being difficult? Why would you, why? I, I can't, I can't make, I can't understand that. I can't understand that. So that was the second half of the conversation. So I try not to react. I really, because I'm like, this is, I'm not going to have conflict with this lady, this cousin of mine. This is not, this is how the system works. So here I am feeling pain because I don't have access to my mom during this time. And other people are being comforted by my mom. And I don't have her comfort. I don't have her intimacy, the intimacy with her that I want, 
one-on-one time, having those heart-to-heart conversations. I want that really, really bad. But I can't get it. I'm almost 52 years old, and I got to get over it, right? That's what I tell myself. Get over it. Just get over it. And I, I feel like I am. But I have to know my limit. My limit yesterday when I was walking, I couldn't, I could entertain that. So I ended the call. I was graceful. I was as graceful as I possibly could. I was like, well, thank you for calling. I'm glad you have, I'm glad. And then, and then, and then she said, I know, I know. My mom used to do this to my friends. Uh, I know exactly what's going on. My mom did this to my friends. Okay. <laughs> well, what do you want from me right now? If you know what's happening, what do you want? I just was calling to check up. No, no, you can't. You cannot enter into a trust bond with me if you're in a trust. You can't. And my priority right now is to focus on this family member that needs support. So whatever you got going on with my mom, have it. I'm not going to interfere with that. Because right now, my priority, I got two priorities, to take care of this family member and to make sure I take care of myself. And I'm going to admit that this is too painful for me to listen to you talk about how my mother is a support for you and I can't have access to her in this way. Now, the old me would have been mad about it. It would have been like trying to do some storytelling, would have challenged her, like, why are you calling me? Nope. I was just like, I'm glad you have it. My cousin just recently had surgery. I'm like, let me know if you need anything. I'm going to get off the phone and finish walking my dogs. We'll talk later. And I hung up the phone. I ended it. And of course I could feel that it was an abrupt ending. I there's, I knew she was like, she wasn't confused. I was aware that she probably was like, that was an abrupt ending for her. And I'm like, I don't know if she's going to be confused, but her needs are not going to trump my needs. I'm going to take care of myself. And that call was too painful to listen to it. And if I'm immature, this is the thing. Like, this is how I was raised. I was raised. That it's not about how I feel. Take Attend other people's feelings. And I don't do that anymore. Now maybe to, that's why I don't have anybody around me, right? I'm sure I still have some learning. But I wasn't going to attend to this woman's feelings over mine. I had to acknowledge that was very painful to listen to. Right or wrong, right? You listening to me maybe say you're an NI Dom, really? Really, and I'm all I can do is say guilty. I'm telling you, it was too painful, and I ended the call. <sighs> Within ten minutes, I got a text from her. I didn't call to stress you out. I'm sorry if I stressed you out. I respond. I finished my walk. It was a. I walked for about an hour and a half. It was a long walk. Did my listen to my you some other YouTube content around uh, mothers <laughs> kind of helped me get my head together, like because it's a head game. 
I'm gonna about to, I'm gonna curse you guys. There's no other word for it, but it's fuckery. That's what it is. It is fuckery when you're in that situation. So I had to go out and get some content, listen to some content, listen to other daughters who come from a very similar experience, listen to how they made peace with it, listen to some researchers, some, and just kind of had to get my head together. And I did. And then when I got home to fed my dogs, just finally, about 20 minutes, I sat down and I responded. I said, I know you didn't intend to bother, uh, upset me, and it's no worries. I'm okay. I'm glad you have my mom, and I'm glad she has you. Right now, I'm getting ready to focus on taking care of this person in my family that is not well, and I'm going to focus on taking care of me. That's my priority right now. Now, my cousin responded back in a text. I haven't read that text. I have no idea what she said. I'm not going to read that right now. This is not about her. It's not about her right now. But I will tell you, she's not in her, she's not where I am in the journey. Now, what she did say, well, before we, in that first half where she was talking about her pain with her mom, she was just like, I'm going to have to get to a place where I don't blame her anymore, but I have to take care of me. And I was like, when I did talk, I said, yep. That's where I had to get to. I don't sit around and I don't sit around and, and have consternation about my mom. And when things come up that are painful, I address and I talk about it. When there's conflict, when current conflict comes up, I address it. But I don't ruminate. I don't really linger in the stuff that happened in the past. I don't allow myself to deny that. But I'm not gonna sit in I don't loop in there. I don't I don't loop in that anymore. I don't do that anymore. And I've learned that it is okay to take care of myself and still be loving to my mom. And to forgive her because she comes from intergenerational trauma. She does. And there was something that my mom didn't get. And that's something that she didn't get. She still tries to get it. And unfortunately, because she hasn't done her work, she gets it by parent parentizing me. And this is the hard part. This is why I will never have intimacy with her, even though I desperately want it. Because I'm her parent. Now, cognitively, she will get mad at me and say, you're not my mother. I know you. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't need you as my mother. But emotionally, that's how she functions. When I was 26 or 27, I wrote a poem and I let a friend of mine, I didn't, and I didn't really, I don't really share my poems. They're just really ways that I, poetry is how I grieve. So I shared this poem, I was grieving, and one of my uh, colleagues at the time, she read it, she started crying, she related to it, and she said, it sounds like you are your mother's mom. I was like, what? 
She was like, it sounds like you're your mom's mom. And I was like, that was such a weird idea, concept. But the more I sat with it, the more it resonated with me. And over the years, I've learned there's literature out there. So there are a number of ways that my mom has tried to get me to take, play that part for her. And when I don't play the part of her, of a mothering that is supposed to prioritize her, right? Because that's what a mom does. A mom takes care of their child. They prior, they're selfless. They put themselves down in order to take care of the child, not put themselves down, but you know what I mean? They park their personal needs and they prioritize the care of the child. And when I don't do that for my mother, when I haven't done that in the past, I have become the problem. I'm the problem. I understand that now based on some literature. Understand that. It is what it is. I got it. Once I see, once I, once I realized the psychology of it, I got it. It's, it's, it doesn't hurt as much. It doesn't. I don't linger. I don't think about it until something comes up. Um, and what has happened, and this is kind of what I'm contending with the family now as I'm going through this family crisis. What has happened when I don't play that part for my mom that I'm the villain I'm the bad guy. I'm her abuser. I'm I'm my mom's abuser. Never I've never physically touched my mom. I never threatened her. I've never put my fist up to her the way she's done with me. I've never walked up into I've never violated her first personal space the way she's done with me. One of the texts talks about boundaries when an unhealthy mom I'll be in the bathroom. My mother doesn't even think that she should knock on the door. Just comes right in. I was like, Ma, Mom, I'm in the shower. Mom, I'm using the bathroom. Well, I need to get something. <laughs> There's literature that explains that. Now I understand all of that. Thank God for the literature that's out there. But I just bring, I don't want to go down this road right now. I bring all of that up to say that all of that comes from the fact that my mom didn't get something. I'm not trying to throw my grandmother under the bus. My grandmother was, uh, my grandfather, my grandmother was married to an alcoholic who did not, uh, was not able to provide because of his illness. Um, she had seven kids. She was blamed in her family for having kids with a man who was an alcoholic. So she didn't have support from her family. She lost her mother at age 18. So she wasn't fully, you know what I mean? She, there was a lot. That's intergenerational. I no longer, it's not, I do not vilify my mom like that. As though this is about the two of us. This is bigger than the two of us. 
However, I do give myself permission to take care of myself as best as I can. And it, and I do it. I'm, 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 I'm really good at it until a family crisis happens and then the family all comes together. And that we're interacting in this narrative, this complex trauma and these narratives. And I can't escape the narrative that has been assigned to me. See, when I was golden child, that time ended when my grandmother died. It was that, that reprieve, that 10, about a 10 year period I was golden child. It came through my grandma, it, it, it's connected more to my grandmother and her, my, um, my aunts and uncles. And when my grandmother died, my aunts and uncles were no longer my aunts and uncles. They were my mother's siblings. But when I was coming up, they were my aunts and uncles. They were people I could go to. So, yeah, when I write the book, I'm going to, this is going to be a chapter. And my, my mom and I, if we talked a little bit about we talk a little bit about it because she knows that I have this background in the social sciences. My mom went on to get a master's degree. She talked about how she didn't know certain things when she had kids. Like if she, she now understands child psychology. So she's done a lot of that. She's acknowledged a lot of that childhood stuff that happened. She's not able to acknowledge some of the current ways of moving about, but that's fine. It's fine, but it's not okay when other family members move to reinforce this experience that's not healthy. So when my aunt did this, when she exploded on me, I talked about this yesterday, when my aunt exploded on me, it was all about, it was this inter, this web. It's about this web. It's a social web. And my, and my mom is entangled in that. I, can't, I don't want to give any more details. But I asked my heart coach last Wednesday, I was like, do you think my mother is doing that intentionally? Creating this web that continues to vilify me. <laughs> and uh, my heart coach said, not not consciously, but that whole family system of survival, that family survives based on those networks. And those networks are not being interrupted. So it is what it is. So, so, this morning, the conflict I had with my sister, which really wasn't conflict with my sister, or it's because my sister flying into town needed to be picked up. We we made arrangements. I'm picking her up from the airport out of because she had to fly into another city. I'm gonna drive to that city, pick her up, and bring her home. And then my cousin, one of my cousins, not the ones I've talked about one of my sister cousins, if you will, is going to drive her 
um, back to the airport in the other city. That's what we agreed on. I needed to use my mom's car to go get her. And I said, and then, I said, and then my mom was like, well, I don't know about my your, the car. I said, well, don't worry. Then if you can't, if I can't take, get your car, cause my, I need, I need a car, another car. My car won't make the trip. Um, I said, don't worry about it. I'll rent a car. And my mom was like, nope, don't worry about it. No, don't get a rental car. You can use my car. My car will make it one way. You don't make one of the trips. You just can't do both of the trips. I'm like, okay. And then my mother goes and enlists my cousin to go do, to to go and pick up my sister. And doesn't do it in a way where then they call and tell me, oh, you don't have, we've changed the plans. So I'm still, like, I'm left out of the loop. I'm still planning on going. It's just messy. There's a there's a theory behind that. So I'm frustrated because, like, I've, I made arrangements for, I have plans, to, I get, the, I just made arrangements. And half those are arrangements interrupted. I'm a, you know, I planned something. <laughs> And then not have the courtesy of being told. It's just, and then I'm already in a heightened state. So anyway. So, you know, my sister and I, we just, I just said, we have to agree that when we have plans, do not let those plans change. If those plans change, you need to tell me directly. Our plans cannot, when you and I make plans, we have to hold to those plans that you and I make. A third person cannot come into those plans and change them because that third person may not follow through and communicate with me what the changes are. Because, so I had to tell my sister that this morning. I told my cousin, the way my mom maneuvers and moves with me is different from how she moves with you all. So you would think that if you had a conversation with her about X, it would get followed up and I would be told it, but I'm not. This has happened a number of times. I make arrangements with someone else about doing something. We're going to do things, something together. Somehow my mother gets wind of it. It then gets changed and I am never notified of the change. Because most people then think, oh, if you, then you'll communicate that. And it never gets communicated to me. number of times I cooked dinner once for my mom and my aunt to come over one of my aunts I wanted to cook a dinner I cooked I wanted to have a I wanted to share something with them I cooked dinner wanted to talk to them about something I went confirmed it grocery shopped and everything cooked the food waited this is pathetic and waited and waited and waited then call me. Where are you guys at? No answer. Guess when I found out? Well, guess when I connected with them? Three days later. Oh, something came up. (laughs) 
I said, oh, so now I'm, I'm now got to be the one to explain, well, something came up. Could you have called me so I didn't have to go and cook the food or I could have called? I, I, how about when I was calling you, you didn't respond, all of that. Yeah. A few years, maybe, maybe six years ago, I was supposed to be going out with, albeit, one of my friend, my mom's friends, but she, she called, I call her aunt. So she's kind of got this aunt relationship with me. I'm getting ready to go. And then I call in, I'm dressed waiting. Like, Hey, what time are we getting together? And my mom's friend slash aunt said, Oh, well, I talked to your mom and we canceled. It, it, she wasn't able to come, so we had to change the date and time. I said, well, I didn't know she was coming with us. Oh, yeah, but she couldn't make that date, so we changed it. No one told me. So when you look at those situations in isolation, they make sense. I'm like, okay, shit happens, right? That's a pattern. So I had to tell my cousin and my sister today, when, as we go through this family crisis, and I'm a critical, you know, and then my, it's kind of bothering me because my sister's like, oh, you're doing so much. You're going to do so much. And you're going to be so helpful. But she doesn't know that part of the help that I'm going to, the role I'm about to play is going to be laced, laced with this intergener- trauma, intergenerational trauma. It's going to be laced with it. It is going to be laced with it. So I just said, hey, when we make an agreement, let it let it be. Let it be. Just the two of us. Let's confirm. Let any change in that. I don't care if it's somebody says, oh, I'll tell. No, just let's always, let's over-communicate. Let's talk more than we would normally talk. Let's just over-communicate for now. So my sister... My sister agrees with that. I'm going to say this thing and I'm going to close because they're the, the, the accountability piece is what I do want your, uh, what I want to get to. So I'm going to, I'm going to end this recording and, and continue, not continue, but to take a different approach because mostly I've been unpacking the dynamic with my mom. And my attempt to be mature, uh, my desire to grow and to own my, own my life, take ownership of my life, own my growth. I don't have time to be blaming somebody else. I don't have time to blame somebody else. I don't have a desire to blame somebody else. I don't have an emotional need anymore to blame somebody else. When I was younger, I did. Before I went through my own emotional healing, I don't have that need anymore. I'm the driver in my life. I am the I am behind the driver's seat. I had to determine when to go, when to park, when to put the seatbelts on, when to look in the rear view mirror, when to reverse, when to go forward, when to make a right turn, when to make a left turn. I determined that. 
It's my life. I'm driving it. And in that, I have no room to blame somebody else. I don't have a desire to do that. And part of that means I drive my life. And I think this is the confession part. The confession is, I was, I, I didn't see it. I didn't fully see it. I was going to allow this family crisis to move me into a place where I was going to put my, where I was going to allow going back into the eye of the storm. I was going to take myself back to the eye of the storm. And this is where I need to grow up some more. Because oftentimes when I'm doing, when I'm doing better, oftentimes when I'm doing better, whatever it is, I'm doing good, then I, I have surplus energy and I'll use that energy to attend to things that I wouldn't attend to when I don't have the energy. So because I'm doing better, I'm taking, I'm, 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 I'm significantly better than I was five years ago. And I'm grossly better than I was 25 years ago. Oh my gosh, I've done so much work. But if I'm not careful, I will forget the source of the problem. And I don't care how much I grow and how much I'm better. I cannot go back to the eye of the storm. And a part of me wants to do that. Part of me wants to be like, look at I'm grown, I'm mature, I'm, uh, I'm in control of my own life. I'm the driver, baby. I determined when I'm going to turn right or left. You just heard me say it. And then I think I could take my grown ass back to the source of the problem. And I'm so good that it's, it's not going to impact me. No. No. And that's the confession. That's the confession. I can't give more. There's more I want to say, but I just don't want to. But there were some ways that I talked yesterday in that, in that reflection yesterday that no. When I was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm doing this, and I'm, no. I'm, no, I can't do that in that way. I have to find a balance. (sighs) I have to. I need to talk to you about the bravery part and the accountability part. Um, but I want to give it its own reflection. So I know I started off by saying ABC and refers to confession. That's all you got for me right now. Just a confession. That I need to handle my healing in a more responsible way. 
And it's so funny. It's so funny that I'm going through, I'm doing this fast. I'm dry right now. It's a, it's, it's, it's really like, it's, it's kind of like this perfect storm. We're going through this family crisis. Now that puts me in proximity to family. These narratives uh, about who I am to my mom, who I am to my mom is now the narrative who I am in the family. <laughs> so now I'm going to be around them more under this narrative. And in the past where that would have been too much, I would have been like, I can do it. Oh, I got it. I'm, I've grown. I've grown. I mean, when I say the past, I mean in the recent past, the last two years. I go, yeah, I've healed. I mean, stuff like that don't bother me anymore. Look how grown I am. And then I would bring my ass home and have a glass of wine. No, if you have, want to have a glass of wine because you want to have a glass of wine, that's fine. But if you're having a glass of wine because you're trying to numb out the pain that you won't acknowledge because you took your butt back to the eye of the storm, that's not growth or better stated. There's more growth needed. So it's ironic. It's ironic that I would say, you know, and I, that this would happen during my, my annual um, cleansing. That this conflict, this situation, and all of this stuff that's surfacing would happen while I'm doing my annual cleansing. And I don't know if I told you this yesterday, but I'm going to repeat. My sister's like, I'm coming home, and I know you're not. You're not going to be drinking. Um, is it is it going to bother you if I drink? I'm like, no, not at all. I'll buy the alcohol for you. Because <laughs> she was doing a cleansing with me, and she 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 just she's like, I I need it. She probably wouldn't appreciate me saying this, but she's changed it. Like, so she she's still doing like a her variation of a of a of a cleanse. But it's not it's not an absolute cleanse that I'm doing, and I'm doesn't make me better. Yeah, because my you know I I consume differently than she consumes. But um, but I think that the intersection of me doing this cleanse at this time is significant about growth. And then I'm gonna say this last thing, and then I'm gonna shut it down. Because I didn't tell you guys this a few weeks ago, my heart coach drew a, a struggle that I'm having at work. Part of this, you know, I talk about I got to crack the code. I got to crack the code. I'm going to make this job be what it needs to be. And part of that is um, it's a maternal space. It's a it's it's. Out of thirty people, there are only two men there, and they're not—they're not alpha males. So it's got a high feminine energy in that organization, and I see myself responding in a way that's similar to how I respond to my mom when I'm in an unhealthy space. With her. And it was my heart coach who put it, put that frame into focus. I was like, God diggity dog, you're right. 
So you take that, like I'm, I'm learning a lesson there. I'm, I'm having like the situation with my family and my mom and I'm having, and I don't, I don't have my normal vice to be in denial. I'm, I'm confronting this full throttle or as a kid, they say, I'm raw dogging it. <laughs> I like that expression, even though it, even though it has a sexual, um, connotation to it. I love it. I'm raw dogging it, y'all. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to end here. Here's, 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 the, I'm going to give you the B and the A quickly. I'm going to give it to you. I'm sorry. This is a longer reflection, but I'm going to give it to you. So before this news came out that one of my family members is um, sick, uh, really devastating news, I started, uh, there, were two, there was a song. This is, you guys know I love Miranda Lambert. And so there's a song, All Means Y'all. And this is basically it's a song that's about um, when you know, hey, y'all. That this that term is inclusive. It doesn't exclude you because you're LGBTQIA. That's what the whole song is about. It's about it's uh affirming for the queer community. I didn't know it at first. I just liked the song. I liked the beat, and I started. And then as I tried to learn it, because I pref- I try to do karaoke, uh, Miranda Lambert when I do karaoke. I had to go look up the lyrics. I was like, oh, this is a cool social justice song. But the beat of the song, I was like, this beat sounds familiar. It reminded me of the song Footloose. And my ex used to sing Footloose when we did karaoke. So I'm like, I don't want to learn that song. But I have been, the song is really upbeat. It's great. I'm trying to lose weight. It's like, it's great dance. And so I was like, maybe I can learn. Maybe I can sing this song. Maybe it'll be a good performance song. Forget my ex. I'm no longer obligated to not sing that song. I can sing that song if I want to. Sing I've known that song how long is that? How old is that song? And then yesterday I was I put the lyrics in front of me. And I'm going to share these lyrics lyrics with you as a way I, uh, of closing. Let me go get the lyrics. Okay, I've been paused for about 5 minutes and went and made a cup of coffee and Feeling a little stressed about the time, <laughs> but all right. Okay. So I'm going to read the song Footloose lyrics. Been working so hard. I'm punching my card eight hours for what? Oh, tell me what I got. So this song to me means it's being grounded in oppression around work. I got this feeling that time's just holding me down. That line is powerful. I'll hit the ceiling or else I'll tear up this town. Like I'm still going to grow. You know what I mean? Like, so when you talk about the glass ceiling, like, I'm still going to rise. This oppression is not going to stop me from rising. Tonight, I got to cut loose, foot loose, kick off your Sunday shoes. Please, Louise, pull me off of my knees. So that off my knees and the Sunday shoes, I feel like that's um, get off, get up from praying and take action. I don't know if that's what it means, but that's what it means to me. Um, Jack, get back. Come on before we crack. Lose your blues. Everybody cut food loose. Like, come on. We got action to take. There's action. 
You're playing so cool, obeying every rule, dig way down in your heart. You're burning, yearning for some somebody to tell you that life ain't passing you by. I'm trying to tell you it will if you don't even try like that. That's so powerful. Like, um, you know, you're playing the rules, you're trying to be cool, and life is passing us by. You're just going to be, I'm just going to sit and respond to something. No, take action. Take life by force. Get in that driver's seat. Get behind the driver's seat and drive. Um, You can fly if you only cut loose, foot loose, kick off your Sunday shoes. Ooh, wee, Marie, shake it, shake it for me. (laughs) Ooh, uh, lose your blues. Okay, I'm going to skip, 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 skip. We got to turn you around. So put your feet on the ground. I take a hold of your soul and... I think that's pretty much it. Everything else is on repeat. Like that whole song, like as I was, I mean, I've been dancing and singing this song since the beginning of January. Singing the song, but it wasn't until I looked at the lyrics, I'm trying to learn to sing them. I'm like, holy smokes. If this is not a song for me, get up off your knees. Not that prayer is bad. Stop responding. Stop trying to do this thing. This whole self-preservation is fine, but there's other things that you have to do. One life. That's one thing that this thing is uh, teaching me um, as I'm dealing with this family member. I'm dealing with, it's one life. It's not enough to say, I'm healed. Get off your knees. Get out there. Hit those ceilings. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about there being a ceiling. Hit them. Hit the ceiling. God, that's such a good song. And it, man, at this line right here, it's everything. What does it say? Um, come on, come on, come on, come on. Somebody's trying to, you, you wait, dig down in your heart. You're burning, yearning for somebody to tell you that life ain't passing you by, but it is passing us by every day. Every day is passing us by. I'm trying to tell you it will if you don't try. You, you can fly if only you cut loose. My God, you guys go listen to that song. Like that song is like church for me. That is the song on so many levels, on so many levels, family, work, one life. You got to drive it. It's not enough to heal. It's not enough to heal. You got to thrive. You got to fly. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to be dealing with this. And nor do I have time to ignore and be in denial. I have to not, I gotta not go back into the eye of the storm. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. My healing isn't to go back. There it is. And I'm going to close here. My healing isn't about going back into the eye of the storm. That's not why you heal to go back into the eye of the storm. You heal to fly. You heal to fly. I got to be brave. That's my confession. I got to be brave to do things that are different for me. I have been doing things a certain way for 52 years. It's not going to be easy to change, do it differently. That's why I'm on repeat. I make these confessions. I want to do something different. And then I find myself doing the same things I was doing before, which generates the same results. I've got to be brave, do things differently. And I got to be held accountable. I'm going to come back and hold myself accountable to you all. I got to. I want to name this guy to cut loose, foot loose. Wouldn't that be nice? Foot loose.
Oh, I should name it that. But I also like ABC in reverse. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If my um, talking about family trauma and healing and recycled pain and next level healing um, to the place of being footloose, foot if this resonates to a com- connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. On Twitter, yournidom1. I've tweeted all of those articles. Um, I need to tweet those YouTube videos that I did. And Facebook and YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. What's your footloose story? What is the thing that you have to give up because it's holding you down and life is passing you by? Even when you think you're maturing, you're doing all this work about personal development, personal growth, and you find that you're still on your damn knees. What is your footloose story that you need to get off your knees and go and hit that ceiling? Dang it, y'all. Dang it. Let's do this. Let's do it. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.